Good morning. What an exciting, exciting and rewarding time to be here for the Aspen Chapel's 50th anniversary, to be part of the chapel's mission of engaging religious faith in conversation with the world, to gather here in lively encounters to redefine spiritual values, to question, to seek relevant answers in a troubled world, is what many of us come here for, a special place and a special time indeed. I want to begin by thanking Susan Nicholson, without whose Deep love for Bach combined with excellent musicianship and dogged determination to make it happen. These cantatas services would not have been presented for these uh, 28, more than half of the chapel's 50 years. An extraordinary accomplishment. I also want to thank Nicholas Vesey. The chapel and the financial supporters of the cantata for making it possible. As Greg Anderson said, oh, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago, it is more blessed to give than receive. It is even more blessed to give to church music programs. (laughs) You remember saying that? (laughs) Sure. I've got it on tape. All right. We have been very blessed. Thank you all. Two weekends ago at the chapel, the Spiritual Paths program presented many ideas that are relevant to what we are hearing today. The one that resonated most with me is that if we truly understand that God is love, not the bumper sticker version, but the deep belief that the God who created everything infused everything with his love, then we also know that love is God. To believe that is to come to the essence of faith and bypass the rituals and dogmas of traditional religious religions that trouble or separate so many of us from it. If you have felt your heart swell when looking deep into the eyes of someone you love, been held enchanted by the beauty of a sunset after a storm, been moved by a great piece of music, then I believe that you are experiencing the presence of spirit greater than ourselves, then you have experienced God. Bach was also exploring these questions of faith through his choice of libretto, the words, and the music to which he set those words. To speak to all people, we must speak many languages, the language of poetry, of art, of music, traditional worship for some, innovative for others, and quietly personal for still others. The language of Bach can speak to all of these clearly and strongly if we listen carefully and understand it. Sing to the Lord a new song. What is this new song that the psalmist wants us to sing? The first three verses of Psalm 98 that we read this morning speak to what the Lord has done for us in the past. He has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The remaining verses tell us, and all of God's creation, the seas, the mountains, the rivers, to shout, clap, and resound for joy. That is what this new song 
is. It's a song of the Spirit. It's a song of joy. It's the Spirit of God that exists within us and everything around us. Today's cantata exemplifies that spirit. As a cantata for the new year, because this was written as a, as a New Year's cantata. We happen to be doing it about halfway through the year. I hope you remember your resolutions. Um, we, we, Bach wanted to cover all the usual bases, the same one, exactly the same ones we do today. We say goodbye to the difficulties, disappointments, tragedies of the past year, expressing hope and asking blessings for the year to come. Bach's new song uh, is, is evident, not in the words he uses, which are rather traditional, as much as it is in the musical innovations that he introduced to his new Leipzig congregation. January 1st, 1724, was Bach's first New Year's, uh, first New Year's service in his job at, in the university city of Leipzig, having been hired the previous fall. Bach was responsible for music at all three of the major city churches. In addition, he was expected to provide music for civic occasions. He had just finished a, a very busy Christmas season with two new cantatas composed for these services. He probably still felt somewhat insecure in his position, as the Leipzig Council had wanted to hire the famous composer Telemann, who had withdrawn his application. It was then offered to the then well-known composer Grautner. I'm sure you remember him well, too. <laughs> but his current, because he was so famous, his current employer refused to release him. So they settled for Bach. <laughs> Bach had spent seven years as a composer in the merchant town of Curtin um, and had composed almost no sacred music at all. The Brandenburg Concertos, which we are hearing the second of this morning, was, were composed there, as well as the well-tempered clavier. I'm sure that in his new job, he felt obligated to cover all the right topics, sacred and secular, a daunting challenge, in a society where there was no such thing as separation of church and state. They were one and the same. Very interestingly, Cantata 190 is a musical church service within a church service. That is, his order and choice of texts and music follow closely a rather condensed form of the traditional two-hour-long Lutheran service. He opens with a paraphrase of Psalm 190, of, excuse me, of Psalm 150, it's Cantata 190, Psalm 150, in an exuberant, optimistic outpouring of praise and thanks. Praise him with drums, dances, strings, and pipes, everything that has breath. In this lively dance, I picture all of creation swirling about in joy. This chorus is the opening hymn of our mini-service. Bach then combines this explosion of high spirits with the insertion of the traditional German Lutheran Te Deum, Lord God, we praise you, Lord God, we thank you, with the chorus in unison, a rather rare and dramatic effect. The Te Deum is an ancient Latin hymn that Luther, 200 years earlier, had, uh, had translated and paraphrased. Uh, past tradition and future hopes uniting. Bach engages uh, all three soloists in the recitative that follows, interspersed again with the chorus singing verses from the Te Deum, but this time in four-part harmony. First, the bass soloist asks for happiness and new blessing, new happiness 
and new blessing. The tenor then thanks the Lord for protection in times past from famine, disease, and war. The immense significance to his congregation of what he is narrating can easily escape our modern ears. The cantata was sung just 75 years after the end of the most devastating war that Europe has ever known, the Thirty Years' War. Fully 20% of Europe's population and 50% of the population in the area in Germany where Leipzig is died either directly from the conflict or indirectly from disease and famine. By Bach's time, the population had not yet fully recovered 75 years later. Consider it's the same length of time, very, very closely, between the end of World War II and now. Think of the impact that war had on Europe for generations and how long it would have taken to recover without the resources to recover so quickly, such as the Marshall Plan. That was Germany at the time of Bach, with that devastating war still fresh in their minds. Then the alto gives praise and thanks for the endless, daily renewed love of God for us. Answered by the chorus, Lord God, we thank you. After that last verse from the German Te Deum uh, by the chorus, the alto sings a lovely aria accompanied just by the string, uh, the string quartet and continuo organ. It begins and ends with an elegant dance, a polonaise, which had become fashionable in European courts and towns at the time. The text is a simple song of praise with reference to the 23rd Psalm. So again, in our mini-service, here is our psalm. Bach paints the picture of the Lord leading his flock to the tranquil meadows of heaven. Here again, he artfully combines traditional scriptural references with a background of what was then a modern dance. The fourth movement, a fairly long recitative for the bass, is at the center of the cantata. This is where Bach places the musical equivalent of a sermon. He changes from the major mode that the rest of the cantata is in to present a more serious atmosphere of minor. The bass rejects worldly things, singing, All I want is that Jesus, my soul's best part, would protect me and guide me upon a level road. The recitative ends in the major key, leading into the duet that follows. This is far shorter than the one-hour-long sermon that the pastor would likely have preached that Sunday. (laughs) Following this musical sermon is Bach's offertory. The duet for tenor and bass is essentially a love song, a love song to God. He usually gives this type of aria to a soprano solace, but here he weaves the two male voices around an elaboration of the melody that was begun by the oboe d'amore. As in the alto aria, the text is simple, an expression that Jesus is my joy, my everything, and he makes my ending good. Notice that each phrase begins with Jesus to emphasize the source of all happiness. Next we have what the, the, the tenor, and he's given the task of hitting all the right notes for box employers. The city fathers of Leipzig, uh, asking blessings for the economy, church, school, faithful teachers, believers, town council, court, and all the homes in the city. This is what amounts to the prayers of the people in a traditional service. The background is one of sustained chords in the strings, allowing the message to come through so that it stands out from the, from the usual cello and organ accompaniment of a service. 
The cantata concludes as a service concludes with a chorale, a hymn that would have been familiar to his congregation. This time also in the festive key of D where the cantata begins. He elaborates the end of each phrase of the tune with a trumpet fanfare that repeats nine times during the last movement. Bach scholars tend to put a lot of, a, a, a lot of store in three times three, the trinity times three. Whether he was thinking that or that the phrase has just worked out that way, we don't really know, but it's there. In what is both a hymn and a final blessing, Bach asks for peace and blessing on the land. The great 19th century poet, Alfred Lord Tennyson, beautifully and powerfully contrasts the realities of the old year with the hopes for the coming year in his famous poem, Ring Out Wild Bells. Picture a cold English winter night, one of the shortest days of the year, hearing bells from the local parish church ring in the new year. In his own way, uh, Lord Tennyson parallels the meaning and tone of today's cantata. The message of both are remarkably relevant to today. Ring out wild bells to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty light, the year is dying in the night. Ring out wild bells and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new, ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true. Ring out the grief that saps the mind for those that here we see no more. Ring out the feud of rich and poor, ring in redress to all mankind. Ring out a slowly dying cause and ancient forms of party strife. Ring in the nobler modes of life with sweeter manners, purer laws. Ring out the want, the care, the sin, the coldness of the times. Ring out, ring out thy mournful rhymes, but ring the fuller minstrel in. Ring out false pride in place and blood, civic slander and the spite. Ring in love of truth and right. Ring in the common love of good. Ring out old shapes of foul disease. Ring out the narrowing, narrowing lust of gold. Ring out the thousand wars of old. Ring in the thousand years of peace. Ring in the valiant man and free, the kind, the larger heart, the kindlier hand. Ring out the darkness of the land. Ring in the Christ that is to be. We'll shortly burst into jubilant song with music, singing to God a new song, for he has done marvelous things. <laughs> 